You're listening to What the Dev, the weekly podcast of ST Times. And now, here's Dave Rubenstein, Editor-in-Chief of ST Times. Yes, it's me, Dave Rubenstein, as you just heard. Uh, Today's topic on the What the Dev podcast is going to be security in a hybrid remote world. Uh, I'll be speaking today with uh, Ray Bango, who's the Developer and Security Advocate at Veracode. How you doing, Ray? Me, how are you? Okay, and Tim Jarrett, Director of Product Management at Veracode. How you doing, Tim? Wonderful, thank you. Good. So, uh, yeah, security in a hybrid remote world, kind of a kind of a big umbrella. Uh, but one of the things I thought that could be an interesting place to start would be talking about what the threat landscape looks like today and how organizations are kind of uh, positioning themselves to deal with it. Yeah, it's really interesting. I've been doing AppSec uh, application security for you know over 10 years. And I think that in some ways, the threat landscape is, is very similar to where it was when we started. Uh, we're still looking at the same types of attacks, uh, same ways to go in and, and get data from applications. Uh, what's changed is everything else, right? Uh, 10 years ago, what was top of mind was uh, you know, kind of hacktivism. Um, now, I think the, the much bigger concern is, is nation state hacking and, and organized criminal, criminal hacking. And I think also the, um, the, the types of targets that are available are very different than they were 10 years ago. You know, you had a few startups in AWS 10 years ago, probably, and that was about it. Now everybody's in the cloud, everybody's infrastructure is virtual. And in some ways that makes things better and in some ways it makes it worse. So um, I, I think that um, the, the biggest constant right now in the threat landscape is, is really just change. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, I, and, and to add to that, I, I think one of the things that has really, uh, I guess, caused a lot of concern for defenders is it's the evolution of really advanced tools that make it trivial for anybody to really uh, try to attack an organization. Uh, nowadays, you can pick up uh, so many open source tools that uh, that, that really start off with uh, with good intentions, but those those same tools can be used for bad things, and it, it's part of the whole aspect of trying to get in touch with kids at an early age and making sure that they understand the implications of of what they do on um, on the internet. What are the implications of their actions on the internet? There's so many there's so many areas now that allow kids just to do whatever they want. And so that's increased the threat landscape to somebody who may just not have full understanding of what their actions mean. And uh, so couple that with, of course, sophisticated actors, just like Tim was talking about, you have the nation states and you have the criminal organizations. And those are, it's, it's really put this intense pressure on existing defenders right now. And, and it's, I think eventually it's gonna lead to some burnout there. Interesting. So one of the things I was curious to know about in, t- in talking about remote and, and how more things are moving between more places than ever before. So, uh, you know, obviously you have malicious attacks, but there's also the attacks of just people mishandling data or sending it out in an unsecure email or things like that. So I imagine with more people now working remote, that particular threat uh, is greater than it had been. Is that, is that what you're seeing? Yeah, I mean, I think that, the biggest things that we see uh, over the last year 
is that everything is changing at a much more rapid pace than it had been previously uh, in, in terms of how people build software, in terms of the types of applications that are uh, being used and deployed by organizations. Um, you know, everybody, you know, had to either close up or go virtual a year ago, almost exactly a year ago. And for a lot of organizations, as they did that, they looked at the way they were building software and said, you know, this kind of hodgepodge of systems that we've had was tolerable when we were all in an office together, but not so much now. It's like, you know, when I'm in my house, uh, you know, in, in quarantine for a month, I start to look at the furniture that I was okay with when I was only in the house for a few hours a day and go, you know what, that flat pack thing really has to go, right? And I think a lot of people did the same things with their old build servers and their old not quite DevOps, you know, processes. So lots and lots of change, but that also means lots and lots of opportunities for things to be misconfigured, to go wrong and, you know, when we look at attacks like what happened with solar winds, you know, there's a pretty uh, serious consequence if your SDLC gets breached, if your pipelines get breached, and if an attacker is able to get into your uh, your application source. So, you know, I, I think that that's, you know, there's an opportunity for sure with all of the changes that have been happening as, as people modernize what they're doing and automate what they're doing, which is a great opportunity for AppSec, but there's also an opportunity for attackers too. Yep, and then you you, you have to throw in security awareness into this as your, your workforce kind of expands out into this whole entire remote, uh, new remote normalness. You have to consider the fact that yeah, you're, you know, we're we're all fairly tech savvy people. We at least we believe that we're we're pretty good at security. But ultimately, you have to look at everybody else in the workforce, and you have to understand that not everybody's going to understand how to configure their router properly. They're not going to be able to configure um, their systems properly. They're not going to understand that maybe connecting to that remote Wi-Fi hotspot someplace in some random place is the best um, best solution to getting online. And so, there's a lot of considerations that need to be. Uh, uh, take it. Oh, sorry. Yeah, life in the pandemic world. <laughs> life. Sorry about that. So that's my puppy, and she's going nuts. That's Why don't we okay. pause for a second there? Okay. Okay. Great. Yeah, she paused for a second. Yeah, she did. I, that that means that my wife must have, <laughs> must have grabbed the puppy, and so that's another example of remote workforces and the things that they have to consider. And so, right. when you start cons uh, taking. Uh, taking the various apps that we have to now implement in order to have this communication with our coworkers, you're you're really taking a a bit of a risk if you're not evaluating the software, you're not evaluating the type of software uh, testing procedures that are put in place. You're you're offloading some of your risk and your threat to these third party vendors, and so you have to you have to really give that thought. And that's where zero trust networks and uh, good application design principles come into play. So there's there's a lot more consideration in this, and and I have to say a lot more attack surface now. It's it's actually a little bit scary sometimes, but I think with the right type of uh, systems in place, thinking about zero trust networks, uh, you know, those are those are things that can help out in minimizing some of the risks. Yeah, I mean, it's like you know, everybody uh, is moving more and more stuff to the cloud. Which, on the one hand, you are certainly uh, eliminating a, a category of risk by letting somebody patch the underlying hosts, who's much better at it than you'll ever be. But then you also have to secure every single piece of what's going on. There are no boundaries, essentially. There's no you know, kind of 
reasonable firewall that you can put in place. Everything has to be individually secured. So yeah, there's there's a lot of change uh, that that as people are making these shifts and accelerating these shifts as they go, you know, to a more uh, a more all online world. Uh, there's lots of opportunities for things to go sideways. Yep. And as the, you know, the recent exchange issue that's going on is kind of proven, uh, sometimes managing your own devices is a challenge in itself. I mean, it, it's the software is becoming increasingly more complex to manage and especially now in this remote workforce. And so there are considerations that you have to take in terms of at what point you have to offload some of that responsibility to people who can do the job I'm going to say better than you can. And so cloud uh, the cloud migration and hybrid approaches are definitely the, the way that a lot of organizations are heading to. And I think it makes a lot of sense. And from a security perspective, it's definitely going to help them stay on top of uh, the latest threats, but also maintain their systems in an up-to-date fashion. Something that's always been a challenge for IT departments, um, well, as long as I've known. I know security has always been looked at as kind of either a chess game or a cat and mouse game, you know, trying to stay one step ahead, uh, you know, of, of what the what the attackers are trying to do. I know, uh, uh, Ray, I think uh, before we jumped on the call, you were saying that, you know, defenders have to be right 100% of the time, but the attacker only has to be right one time uh, to to create all that havoc. Uh, so, so one of the questions that I have... Uh, that can certainly create a mindset in organizations that it's just a losing battle and and maybe they don't sink as much resources into it as they could. They look for uh, maybe just a, a broad fix or a, a small patch or something. Uh, our companies today, are they, uh, they're certainly reading about all these uh, breaches and solar winds and everything else, but are they paying enough attention and really devoting enough resources to to dealing with this problem? So it's an interesting issue to, to, to tackle. If we, we really have to break it out into size of organizations. If you look at a big organization, let's say a Target or a Walmart, they're going to have a very mature model. They're, they're going to have a great defensive posture. They're going to have the resources that they need to make the investment in protecting their infrastructure, uh, their applications, their people. The real, tar the real targets, the ones that are, in my opinion, the, the most affected by some of the things that are happening in this world are the SMBs, the small uh, and medium-sized businesses. Those are the ones that in many cases don't have the resources to have a very uh, comprehensive EDR solution, a SIM that's constantly monitoring and uh, sending out uh, notices to a secure operations center. So there's a lot, of, uh, a lot of opportunity for bad actors to hit them because they don't, they don't have that that breadth of coverage that they need to be safe. And so I, I, this goes back to that whole cloud discussion you were saying, and this is, this is why I agree with Tim. I mean, I think moving to the cloud for SMBs makes a lot of sense because you're offloading that IT administrative piece to people who are really experts on that. But then you, you still have to manage the whole application development side of things. I mean, you have to really consider when you're building your application out, how do you build it in a way that is going to embrace secure code practices? How are you going to monitor that application for the for common vulnerabilities that you can fix that won't allow somebody to get into your network? So the SMB, uh, small to medium-sized business, businesses, those are the ones that are gonna be the most impacted by what all the recent threats that are coming out and and, and that we really need to put a, a greater effort to help educate this new breed of defender to protect the folks across the landscape. And remember that SMB doesn't mean your small mop and pop shop only. SMB could mean a company that has 700 to 1,000 people. I mean, that's a, that's a sizable organization that could have a dramatic impact uh, on 
on a variety of different companies. So we need to make sure that they're equally protected as well. Yeah, I think when I look at the, um, you know, kind of what the 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 problem of, of defender fatigue, right? I think that part of it just comes down to looking at the threat landscape and drawing the right lessons from it. Um, I think that if you look at the, you know, the constant, you know, vigilance that you have to have to do something like ongoing threat monitoring. You know, you, you need to find a way that you can get leverage as a defender uh, against, you know, that that sort of threat landscape so that it doesn't matter if you're, you know, right uh, 10 times or a thousand times, right? Um, and I, I think that you look at what Apple did recently with their messages app where they found a way to sandbox handling all incoming messages and immediately killed a whole category of, of attacks uh, that, that otherwise enabled attackers to take over people's phones, right? Um, I think that, um, you know, the, that's, that's one important lesson that I, I, I think is worth thinking about is where are the points of leverage that you can get? And the other is um, making sure that you're, you're actually responding in, in the right way. I think that if you look at um, the balance of time that we spend as uh, you know as a nation here in the United States on defense versus offense, you know it, you you draw some conclusions that are a little uncomfortable when you look at how solar winds happened in so many places in in the the government and the you know teams just were not ready they were not scrutinizing their supply chains in in the way that that perhaps they should have been um, and you know so I, I think that. You, you you have to figure out, you know, where can you be spending your efforts that will have a disproportionate effect in, in uh, protecting yourself against uh, against attacks. And oftentimes it's it's getting the defense right. It's it's the boring but really important stuff of, you know, making sure that your developers are writing secure code, that they're shipping clean code into production, um, and that you're watching after things like your supply chain. It's, it's, uh, it's not complicated conceptually it's really hard to execute right in in practice yep and to your point it's a i, I do i'm a big believer in uh, in defense and depth and that's what that apple uh type of mitigation was it's basically adding these these layers uh to make it more challenging and and more uh less cost effective for attackers to really go out there. So, you know, the majority of people think that every every breach is a nation state and it's not. I mean, the, the, I think the if you look at the, the majority of them are going to be either cybercrime or they're going to be some script kitty who decided to go in there and do something bad. And so ultimately, if you you have you, if you've layered your infrastructure in a way that your most critical assets are are highly protected and you're using uh, concepts of least privilege those are things that are going to dramatically help you. And, you know, you do look at something like a solar winds and that that supply chains attacks are on the rise. I mean, even just today, there was another uh, another supply chain attack that was announced and that and software is going to be the new target uh, infrastructure as it starts moving out to the cloud and more companies truly embrace that. Uh, the new attack factor is going to be applications themselves, because that's the way that that's the only thing that's going to be available. And whenever you hear something like uh, uh, somebody dropped a web shell, well, basically, what is that? It's software that was dropped into a remote server that gave access to a system. And that's what actors or threat actors are looking at now. Uh, so we have to continue to evolve our coding practices so that we we don't allow these gaping holes to be part of that, that threat opportunity. If you look at OWASP, I'm still constantly shocked that SQL injection 
is still part of the OWASP top 10. Why is cross-site scripting still part of the OWASP top 10? I thought, I thought we were sanitizing code for the longest time, but then what happens is you start talking to application developers and, and many of them still believe that their frameworks are the ones that are gonna protect them. Their, their frameworks will have all the security um, uh, checks and boundaries that they need to protect the inputs and stuff. And yeah, there's some like Ruby and Rails does a, I think they have, they, they have some checks in there to make sure that you can sanitize inputs, but ultimately we're human. And when we're building out systems, we're going to make mistakes. And so unless you're going back and you're being proactive and checking for common patterns and common vulnerabilities and comparing results against CVE databases and things like that, you're going to run into a problem because ultimately <laughs> humans build systems and you know, we're I as much as I'd like to believe I'm perfect, I I can tell you, yeah, I've seen some of my code, and yeah, I'm far from perfect. Well, that makes two of us. <laughs> oh, thank three you. of us, three of us. It's unanimous. Oh, so perfect. Oh, so oh. so both of you have seen my code, and you know I'm not perfect. That's what you're saying. <laughs> okay, I got, I got where we're going here. All right. Yep. Okay. Uh, listen, there's so much more on this topic that we can be talking about, and in fact, we'll be talking about uh, such as areas like security as code putting more on developers, shifting security left, automation, delivery, topics like these. We'll be talking about these uh, next week, uh, March 16th uh, at uh, 1 p.m. Eastern time with, uh, with Ray and Tim on an SD Times webinar, uh, taking a much deeper dive into the topic. Uh, but we just wanted to, um, to uh, get this out there to you folks to kind of uh, wet your whistle, so to speak, uh, to hear more about the topic. So uh, Ray, Tim, thanks for being with us today and look forward to talking to you again next week. Well, thanks for week. having me. Thanks for having us. All right, and uh, thanks of course to all our listeners as always. I'm Dave Rubenstein, Editor-in-Chief of SD Times. Until next time, so long for now.